Today on this edition of the Forest City Church Podcast, lead pastor Eric Park's message is titled, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I'll meet you there. I'm excited to preach this morning. Um, I was thinking about this idea of priorities this week because on Wednesday, my middle son, Graham, went back to school. Anybody putting kids back into school? Raise their hands. Who's got a kid? Some of you are like, I cannot wait. I've got to get these kids out of the house, right? Um, well, Graham is a, now a sophomore at the University of Kansas, and um, we, um, we went out to a baseball game just last week because, you know, I wanted to have some, you know, dad time with Graham. And, um, and we had a conversation about his second year, and one of the things we talked about was priorities. I'm like, son, listen. One of the most important things you can do is like, I'm glad you got your first year done and you did well. But life is about us consistently putting things that are important into its right place. Like you can't just do it once. This is what priorities are. That I want you to make your life about priorities. I heard it said that our life is the sum total of all the decisions that we make every single day, and those decisions are determined by your priorities. Your life is the sum total of the decisions you make every day, and those decisions are determined by your priorities, the things that you put first. And I heard another quote say that things which matter most must never be at the things that matter least. And so I want to look at a story, a passage in scripture that I really do think in this day and age help us understand how do we set priorities. Sometimes one of the best things we can do is see something. I'm a visual learner, right? So when I see it, when I can hear a story, it all clicks for me. So so this story is found in the Old Testament. It's actually in the book of Daniel. If you have your Bibles, you can flip to Daniel chapter 3. That's where I'm going to be all this morning. But give you some context. This is about three guys. And um, it happens about 600 years before Jesus is born. It's during the rule of a king named Nebuchadnezzar. He's king of Babylon. And at this point, 600 years before Jesus was born, Babylon has rolled into Jerusalem and taken it over. Well, Nebuchadnezzar had this idea. He was a king that was taking over this people group. He said, hey, look, in order for us to stay in power, here's what I think we should do. Not only should we come in, rule militarily, but we should find the best and the brightest young people, and we should ship them back to Babylon. The idea was, well, if we get really smart people, one, we'll be better as a country and a kingdom. Two, they'll never be able to rise up against us because we'll have all their smartest people. So this is what they do. Nebuchadnezzar grabs all the smart ones, puts them in a van, so to speak, and he ships them off to Babylon. And in this group of people were four kids. They were kids. Their names were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Now, once they got into captivity, um, it became important that they start to shaped them to be more Babylonian. And one of the first things they did was to give these enslaved kids new names. The names you're about to hear, you might, if you grew up in church, recognize. Because Daniel becomes Bashelzar, but Hananiah, his name is changed to Shadrach. Mishael's name is changed to Meshach. And Azariah, his name is Abednego. Shadrach, Meshach, 
and Abednego. Now, the Bible tells us, obviously, the reason why they're in Babylon is because they're really smart kids, right? I kind of think of Graham. They probably would have been about his age. They probably were his, had the mental dexterity of a kid like Graham. And here they are now, slaves. Well, these three kids, over time, somehow make their way from the bottom to the top. Now, we know one of the reasons why is because the Bible tells us that Daniel, their best buddy, ends up being able to take a dream that King Nebuchadnezzar had, and he was really, like, messed up by this dream, and he was able to interpret it. And because he interpreted it for, for this king, he gives Daniel, like, a spot in the kingdom. And then he says, Daniel, you can fill your ranks with whoever you want. Well, this is what good friends do, Right? They don't just get to the top for themselves. They bring some of their buddies along. So he looks at his three buddies, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and he brings them up. And through time, these kids rise through the ranks. They are the epitome of a classic American story, like had nothing, got everything. It is like the story that we love in our day and age where someone who has absolutely nothing grinds it out, takes advantage of the opportunities that come their way and get to the top. This is their story. And in, in the American version of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the story would probably end right there. They did it. They got to the top. They got the dream. They got the girl. They got the money. They got the house. They have the job. It's over. It's done. The blessing came their way. But as it is in Scripture... That's where the story actually starts. Not the pursuit of the blessing. But somewhere after the blessing finds its way to them. Now, in Daniel chapter 3, with all of this as backdrop, we find King Nebuchadnezzar making a decision. He decides in verse 1, the Bible tells us that he's going to make an image of gold. It was 60 cubits high and six cubits wide. And he sets it up on the plain of Dora in the province of Babylon. And then he summons all his citrips, his prefects, his governors, his advisors, his treasurers, judges, magistrates, everybody who's important. He wants them to come to the dedication. So he also tells them, that when you come to the dedication, that we're going to have certain rules. We're going to ask everybody in the kingdom who sees this when a certain signal comes to bow down and worship it. Now, you, you hear this on the service, and it sounds sort of like, man, this dude must be like egomaniacal sort of dude, right? Like who builds like statues to themselves and then ask people to bow down at it? You're like, that's strange. But, but the truth is, this was really not about him, although he is somewhat vain. This was a loyalty test about what priorities people had. You see? This would be no different than a flag for a country. This was like a moment in time when he wanted to be sure all these people who had come from all these different countries, that he's assimilated into one space, that they understand what the top priority in this country is. 
He's like, let's not get it twisted. You might be blessed. You can have any God you want. I just want you to understand that at the very top, the only most important is the values of this place. So have all the small G gods you want. Go to church, that's great. Worship that God, that's great. But when it comes to the big G God, the big one, the number one spot, let's be clear. Babylon, that's number one. And so all this was was a loyalty test. Do you believe in the values of this kingdom or not? What kingdom will you follow? And so when he lays this out, what he's really doing for these three young men is challenging their priorities. Like, what's most important? Who are you going to serve? The blessing or the blesser? Bible tells us the horn blows and these three guys who are facing like, like the decision of their lifetime, the horn blows and then in verse 12, chapter three, these guys who are also in the kingdom, they're lawyers or rulers, they see these Jewish kids and they come back to King Nebuchadnezzar and say, listen, remember how you said like there's a loyalty test, like everybody has to bow their knee. Well, we saw these three kids, they didn't do it. Anybody like tattletales? Oh, me neither. They, they go and wrap these three out, and, and, and Nebuchadnezzar calls these guys in. And now I want you to imagine this moment. King Nebuchadnezzar, he's given these dudes the opportunity. That's what he did. He gave them a shot. Now they took advantage of it, and they made their way through it. But you have to imagine King Nebuchadnezzar going, listen, 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 what are you doing? Do you see all that you have to lose? It's, it's just bend the knee. You can still worship your God. You can still go to church. You can do all these things you want to do. I just need you to bend the knee. Don't be stupid. Don't be stupid. You're not willing to lose everything that you've gained over this. Just, just bend the knee. You think about that moment, these three young kids who know poverty, who know destitution, who know slavery, and now know palaces and wealth and Bentleys, probably not Bentleys, but you know. This is a scary, scary moment. You know, there's a reason why the Bible, over 80 times, uses the phrase, fear not. Over 80 times, the Bible says, fear not, because one of the things I've learned about myself, now this is me, I don't know about you. you, you have to put yourself into this, but some of the worst decisions that I've ever made in my life have been driven by the single word, fear. Anybody else? Anybody else look at your life and go, some of the worst decisions of my whole life was because I was so afraid afraid of what I might lose or afraid of what someone might think, afraid that maybe I'm not good enough, this fear that grabs us. You know, fear is this great buckler of knees, you know? Like, when you're afraid, 
when you're truly afraid of what might come next. When you know what you have to do at work, but you're afraid it might cost you your job. That's real. The king says, don't be stupid. Just bend the knee, man. And in verse 16, with all of that, if you can internalize these three kids facing the biggest decision of their life, about to lose everything, everything, and all they have to do is quietly bend the knee, just quietly. This is all they would have had to do, right there, right there, that's it. They could have gotten up and gone back to their life and said, oh, God, sorry about that, please forgive me. You know I really love you. I just don't want to lose all this stuff. That's all they would have had to do. Bend a knee. That's it. They could have gone back to their life and kept everything. And yet, in the light of what is the most scary moment in these young dudes' life, I want you to hear what they say. In verse 16, when all three of them reply, King, we don't need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. Like, they're like, I'm not going to argue with you on this. If we're thrown into blazing into a blazing furnace, oh, by the way, which was the punishment for anyone who didn't bend a knee. This wasn't just lose your stuff. It was, we're going to throw you in a fiery furnace, which it was a weird way to kill someone. I don't know. I was like, this dude's weird. It's kind of twisted. How are we going to kill them all? I don't know. Let's put them in a furnace. Uh, whatever. So he, he says, look, even if we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve, he's able. He's able to deliver. But listen what they say. But even if he does not, even if he doesn't, we want you to know your majesty. I love that they're still polite. We will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold. Your systems that got us all this stuff, this is the paraphrased version, this is the Eric phrase version, even the system that got us all this stuff, we know who is the big G God in our life. We have priorities. Number one on our list will always be that God, not this stuff. You can have it. You can take everything, but you don't get number one in our life. You don't get it. Sorry. You know, I think, I think this moment matters more than anything else. You have to hear me in this next three minutes because this is what I really believe. Do you know I actually think that blessing and success has robbed more destinies than failure and demise ever can? Seriously, because what happens is there's so many of us in this room that know the first part of this story. You're like, oh, I know what it's like to grind it out and make my own way, build my own business, move up through the corporate food chain to to get to this point in my life, to put away money in a 401k, to save, to get the house and the girl, the husband, the house, the lawn, the tractor. I got a tractor this year, and I felt like I was finally a man, right? <laughs> Got to mow my lawn on a tractor. 
We get all of these things, they finally come. The success comes, and success has a funny way of shifting our priorities, doesn't it? I mean, let's just be real. Come on. Doesn't success have a funny way of shifting our priorities where all of a sudden we served God with everything we had. We put him first. All the stuff comes, and all of a sudden we start thinking our primary job is now to protect all the stuff we have. Nobody else, huh? Just me. Oh. Well, that's what I do. I'm like, oh, I like all this stuff. I like the tractor. I want to give that back. I like the girt lawn. I like the girl. I like the kids most days. Right? I want to build a wall around this thing, and I want to protect it. And I'll do everything I have to do to protect it, to keep the blessing. That truthfully, I didn't have that much to do with it. I worked as hard as anybody else. But the truth is, God was always at the top. And it's funny how we move him and we make him a little G God with just a little bit of blessing. The blessing he brings actually removes him out of first place in our life. We do it all the time. We're like, man, I can't be generous right now. I can't give to that thing. Sorry. Not right now. I can't give my time to that thing. Ah, not right now. I can't take a risk like that. Not, not, not right now. You don't understand. You don't understand. And, and you look back at your life, and the truth is, if you're anything like me, blessing makes me less willing to take risks, not more. It, it, it should make me more riskier because I've seen what happens when I step out and let God and let go. I've seen him show up, and yet the blessing that comes makes us almost like, we want to be, I don't know, fire avoiders. Like, I, I honestly think that the greatest danger for followers of Jesus living in this comfortable world is that our primary goal in life becomes just like fire avoidance. Where are the, where are the fire furnaces? How do I avoid them? How do I keep them from burning up all my stuff? I won't let go of my stuff. I want you to burn up all my stuff. I pray, God, deliver me. We, we start to pray these prayers. God, deliver me from discomfort and inconvenience. God, make my life smooth and make it easy and make it comfortable. That sounds great. Make it pleasant. Remove the obstacles and let the bears win a couple games, right? (laughs) This is our prayer. We're not asking for much, Lord. Just keep the fire away from me. Listen, sometimes we're really hard on the American church. You'll hear me as a pastor sometimes be like, man, the American church. But the truth is, it's not the American church. It's just humans. Human beings, me too, given the choice between comfort and discomfort, I tend to pick comfort. Given the choice between a home and not a home, I I tend to pick a home. Prosperity is intoxicating. And if you've had nothing, like many of us in this room have had at one point in our life, some of us have come from nothing. When you get something, it's hard. It's scary. You see, I have to be honest with you, the great promise when we talk about following Jesus, the great promise is not the blessing prosperity and that you won't 
have sickness or you won't have pain. And if that's the great assumption, here's the problem. Here's the problem is one day fire will come. In fact, Jesus said it differently. He didn't use the metaphor fire. He used the word storm. He said the storms of life, they will come. But he said, in this world, you can have peace still. In other words, the blessings aren't what bring the peace, the comfort. None of that comes from the stuff. Fires come. And in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's case, their fire was right then. And in verse 19, he's furious now, right? Because now he's made his pitch. He can't believe they're going to choose to put this God into first place. He cannot believe it. So then he's like, okay, okay, all right. I see how this is. Then he hollers at his buddy. He's like, okay, I want you to crank that furnace up seven times hotter. Well, first of all, what good does that do? One times hot is plenty hot, right? You get thrown in the fire, you're going to burn up anyway, but he gets mad. I don't, you ever done that as a parent? You know, like where you're trying to up the ante on, a, on your kid, trying to get him to do what you want to do? Fine. Well, then you're grounded for the rest of your life. You know, you know? He like, he's like seven times hotter. And then the Bible tells us he orders his guards to take them down there. So in verse 21, so these men wearing their robes and trousers, turbans and other clothes, they were bound and thrown into this blazing furnace. And it's so hot that the soldiers that carried him down killed them. Now I imagined, I imagine this, and now I'm just going to, again, be real with you. They had nothing. Blessing came. Moment of truth. They say, God, you're number one. They have this great speech, like, do whatever you want to do with me. But you got to believe in the back of their mind as they're being carried to the fire, they know. God's going to turn that fire off. They know. They're like, God's going to turn it off. They're going to let me get thrown in this fire. I stood up for God. I did the right thing. He's not going to let me get burned up. you got to imagine, at the last minute, as they're getting drug up, and these three dudes are about to throw them in, all three of these dudes go, it's all good. We want, it ain't going to happen. And midair, they all had to be going, uh-oh. <laughs> Into the fire. God doesn't, they do the right thing, and God doesn't put the fire out. He lets them get thrown in the fire. Anybody know what that feels like? Oh, some of you are in it right now, aren't you? You're in the fire right now. And you've been asking yourself, how did God let me get thrown in this? I've tried to put him first. I've tried to make him a big G. God, how did I, I get thrown in this? When I was growing up, some of you will relate to this. We didn't have fancy computers yet. Palm Pilots. Remember Palm Pilots? That even really dates me. We didn't have any of those things. When we were keeping track of important dates in our house, in the Parks house, we had a thing called a calendar. Anybody else? And my mom would take a calendar and she would take these refrigerator magnets. Anybody know what those are? And she would stick the big calendar with the magnets onto the fridge. And she would list things on a calendar, like to-dos and important things. But on the most important days, first day of school, vacation, you know, whatever, 
she would take a red Crayola marker and she'd circle it. It was a big calendar. Some years it was puppies, some years it was clowns, whatever. She would circle it. And we would know as a family, that's an important date. Like, that date isn't to be missed. Now, I know God doesn't have a calendar, right? I know he doesn't sit up there with Crayola markers. But when I thought about the story and I thought about the reality of how we function in this world, I wonder, like, was God through all of this? It's like he had this calendar for these three guys where he was circled the date on there. Circled the date when he's like, listen, I'm going to do one better. I'm going to show you why you don't have to be afraid. I'm not going to put out the fire. Rather, I'm going to meet you in it. In verse 25, after these three kids get thrown in, it says they look down in the fire and they see four men walking around in the fire and they're unbound and they're unharmed. And the fourth looks like the son of God. So I got to thinking about this moment. And, and, and this is, um, Brad, you can, hey, Brad, hey. play. Yeah, that'd be great. You make me, uh, you make me better. Um, so, so this is a terrible little thing, but, you know, this is like one little tiny flame. Now, we all know how fire works, right? So that's going to get a little bit hot. Now, I'm, I'm put my hand over this for a minute. I can't keep it there. Now, that really burned, right? Because it's what fired us. I can keep it there for a minute, but, but it gets hot. You got like 10 seconds. That's what fire does. Now, you multiply that by a big old fiery furnace. These four, these three boys get thrown in the fire. This is hot. And we're trained at a young age. It's like, don't touch that. Don't, don't touch that. Don't, Eric, what are you doing? Some of you right now are like, bro, what are you doing? You're going to set yourself on fire, right? Don't touch that. Now, you notice this. This is, what, this is what I love about the whole story. This is what I love about the whole story. They get thrown in the fire. Whatever your fire is, this is a metaphor for the mess, the junk, the heat. And we are trained instinctually to move away from hot stuff, aren't we? And do you notice that when they're unbound, just in this verse, everything's off of them. They can move freely. They're still alive. Is it not interesting to you that they don't come running out of the fire? Because I'm telling you if it's me and you throw me into the fire, my reaction once in, realizing I don't have ropes on my feet or hands and I'm still alive is to decide I probably ought to get out of here real fast because the chances are I am going to burn up at some point. Right? I probably ought to get out of here really, really fast. Do you notice what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they don't leave the fire. They stay in the fire. And it dawned on me, oh, because they began to live the reality. They began to realize that the safest place in the world is wherever our God is. The safest place in the whole wide world is in the place that should be the most dangerous. And isn't this what God does? He makes dangerous places safe. He makes tumultuous times bearable. 
he brings peace in the middle of a storm in that hospital room when it makes no sense there's something that comes over you're like I don't know it's gonna be fine I don't know in the middle of all the financial trouble that you find yourself in and everyone says you should be freaking out man and you're like yeah I don't know it's it's gonna be fine why because the safest place wherever Jesus is wherever he is and what we know is in this moment he was in the middle of the fire you can imagine these three going man I could live here for a really long time they just learned the most valuable lesson but Isaiah 43 says look don't fear I've redeemed you I've called you by name you're mine don't, don't be afraid stop being afraid stop being afraid. You know, I've thought about, there's a line in this song that I love so much. And worship team, you guys can come all out. I'm done. Um, I'm done. It says, I can count it. I can count the joy come every battle because I know that you're with me. I can count the joy in every battle. You almost see these three kids like jumping around in the fire filled with joy and the rest of the world says, how in the world, how in the world in the middle of your fire do you find joy and peace and patience? How are you doing it? And it's not because of the stuff. Listen, add all the stuff you want. Buy it all. Get it all. Get it all. Great. If you hope it will bring peace, you've already, you already, it can't. If you hope the stuff that's going to bring the security you've longed for, it can't. It all gets burned up in the end. There's only one thing I've found in my life. That in the midst of terrible tragedy and the storms of life and the fires that burn, the only thing that I grab onto is Jesus. That the great promise isn't the stuff, it's him. It's him. It's me and him. Me and him. Me and him. No matter what comes, me and him. So bring it. Bring the fire. Take the stuff. No matter what happens, it's me and him. And that's true for you today. It's you and him. And you will have storms and you will have trouble and you will have fire. But the great promise is he will meet you there wherever your there is. Your, your name is circled on his calendar. The stuff that you're in right now, he knows. He circled it. He knows. The stuff that's coming, he's not surprised. And don't get it twisted. If the fires come, your first reaction is, where are you, God? I'm just saying, look around, because he's in it with you. He's in it with you. You say, what do you, why did you start talking about priorities? Because the reality is, is if we let other things be the big G God in our life and we prioritize all this other stuff, we will get into storms and we will feel by ourselves. My great challenge for us this morning is as we worship, is to understand he's with you. That's what you get. That's what you get. Will you stand with me? 
We're going to sing a song as we close. We're going to watch and see if you set this place on fire right now. We're going to sing a song that we wrote, actually, as a church. It's called Where the Power Is. Where the power is. The power isn't in the things or the money or the stuff. It's not in the microphone, the car, it's in none of those things. The power to live and to exist and to make it through the season you're in. It comes in Jesus. And it is the great promise that wherever you go, he's with you. Sometimes he's with you, you don't know it. That's like when I go to the mall and I'm walking with my kids. I'm there with them, they are not there with me. I know what I'm talking about. Like I'm back here and when I try to catch up, they slow down. I know, I know some of you, you've lived yourself with God that way where it's like, yeah, he's there with you, but you haven't been there with him, but you can be. And I'm telling you, there's no walk like it. There's no walk like it. And so I'm going to invite you as we sing this song. Some of you, you may not know it well, but to find, find these, this truth great promise is that God God is with you and the great question is will you be with him you've been listening to Pastor Eric Parks with the message Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego I'll meet you there thanks for listening